more smoke, maybe even a little fire. This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. You are locked on Ole Miss. Your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, welcome to the Lockdown on this podcast. I am your host, Stephen Willis. Thank you very much for joining us and making us a part of your morning show routine. Thank you for making the Lockdown on this podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast. Now, news came out yesterday from Jeff Goodman and Pete Thamel about the interest in the basically Chris Beard and Ole Miss being really far down the road. Now, Ole Miss has come out and said a little bit that maybe not so fast, but these are the reports that are out there. Um, We'll see exactly what's up. Whenever you look at what's going on, the Pete Thamel report said that Chris Beard emerges as the top Ole Miss candidate. Former Texas coach Chris Beard emerges as the leading candidate for baseball Basketball coaching job at Ole Miss. Sources told ESPN Wednesday. The sides have been in recent contact, sources told ESPN, and Ole Miss officials are in the process of doing their due diligence. Beard's coaching acumen is considered among the best in college basketball. He led Texas Tech to the national title game in 2019 and has led three different programs to the NCAA tournaments 2016. That was Pete Thamel from ESPN that he wasn't the only person that reported that Jeff Goodman came out and said that Ole Miss and Chris Beard have had multiple conversations of him and have met in person sources told stadium no deal is in place yet but it's trending in the direction of Beard being the next head coach in Oxford sources told stadium that's pretty neat that's kind of what we've been thinking you know it's one of those situations where you're looking for something to happen and it's kind of further down the road than you thought it was. But, you know, with it getting quiet over the last couple of days, and it did, there was names flying around early in the process all over the place. But when it was got down to it, it got really quiet. And this tells me, like, Jeff Goodman, I think Jeff Goodman is a Chris Beard guy. So he's the person, he's like Chris Lowe is for Lane Kiffin. So he's used for that a little bit. So this is probably coming from the Chris Beard side. Pete Thamel, it could be both because him working at ESPN, he could have an SEC tie as well. I mean, everybody knows my stance on this. Everybody knows everything about what I'm thinking when it comes to this situation. But there's still an opportunity for things to go wrong. They, with the Pete Thamel reporting and the Jeff Goodman reporting, it popped up and trended on Twitter, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. That's probably a positive for Ole Miss. The only people that were actually complaining were the rivals that would have complained if Ole Miss hired Jesus Christ as its head coach. They would have found something wrong, you know. You know, the Romans did him in. You know, something like that. You know how opposing fan bases are. But... There's still an opportunity where things can go wrong. Ole Miss played South Carolina last night, and the game ended. The basketball season was over. The transfer portal opens up Monday. It feels like there's a window where a decision needs to be made, and whenever you have one coach and he is the clear front runner for what was going on, it makes a little bit of sense. Now, we don't know how the contract is going to look. We don't know what's going to go on with it. 
But should that get done, it feels like this could be named by the weekend. That's the way it feels. I've heard nothing about it, but that's the way it feels. Whenever you you look at the way everybody's talking, whenever they name um, national sources are talking like really strongly about this job search happening, whenever that happens, it's really heating up. And it just feels like this thing is all trending in that direction. You saw my show yesterday. This signifies a heel turn in Ole Miss athletics. And I don't mean that as Ole Miss being a bad guy. I'm, I am saying that as an Ole Miss being embraced as being viewed as the bad guy because it doesn't matter who they hire. The same people are going to have outrage the whole time. This eliminates that little chunk of morality because here's the secret. This is something they've been doing in politics for the last 20 years. It doesn't matter what your morals are. It matters what you can get the other person to agree to a moral standard that they can't reach. And when they can't, you jump all over them for it. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a real thing. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be in politics. But if you do it right, you have a way you can bury the other side for your team. It doesn't matter what they do because this has become so prevalent in our society these days that people on your team can just tune out their team. They're so used to doing that now. There's no set moral rules that both sides are playing with. There's only what you can do to generate outside outrage on your team, and it doesn't necessarily affect the other team. So I think four years ago, even four years ago, Chris Beard would not have been hireable. The outrage would have been such that both sides would have been playing by the same rules. He would not have been hireable. Now he's hireable because of that. The other teams are going to say stuff, and your team is going to ignore what they say because it doesn't matter who you're going to hire, you're going to hear it. Whenever you say things over and over and over again, meaning gets lost. And the only people feigning outrage over this at the moment are people with a vested interest in it not happening. And that tells you, you're probably barking up the right tree as it is. It, it's just a interesting, weird thing. Um, but we'll see how this goes over the next couple of weeks. Now, in the next segment, we're going to talk about what would the hiring of Chris Beard mean for Ole Miss, for basketball, all of that moving forward. How would that look? What would that do? And we'll talk about that when we come back. But right now, I do want to tell you today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet does not win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Yes, I realize in Mississippi you have to go to a brick-and-mortar casino to be able to gamble. But if you go to Memphis, if you go to Nashville, if you go to New Orleans, you do not need to do that. And the FanDuel Sportsbook would serve you well there. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained to the game you're in. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more. 
an official sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Heck, check it out today. It's probably relevant. Everything you need to know about college basketball in one place, plus you get to hear from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. It's Locked On College Basketball. It's available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. So if Ole Miss pulls the trigger on Chris Beard, what does that mean for Ole Miss? We've all talked about can they do it. And we've talked about should they do it, but we haven't really talked about what would happen if they did it. You're dealing with a basketball coach that has taken Little Rock to 30 wins in the NCAA tournament. Texas Tech, who historically is a similar basketball program to Ole Miss, to the national championship game. And had Texas firmly in the top five or ten while he was there this season, and it was building a monster in Austin. As a basketball coach, second to none. You know that on the court, between the lines, everything is going to go the way you want it to. You are going to grow. You're going to have attention. You're going to be relevant in the national scene in a way that Ole Miss basketball has not been probably since Rod Barnes was here in the beginning, the end of the Rob Evans um, era. That would be the last time that Ole Miss basketball would have been this relevant. Just kind of is. Now, the first thing that would happen is the first thing that is necessary for it to happen is that basketball makes enough money to pay for itself because we all know that Ole Miss overextends on money. That's the way they make up the gap that they have with other football schools in the conference and their athletic budget is by overpaying on football, in our opinion. But they should absolutely do that because, as we've said many times before, 80% of the fan base is football only or football and box score only. It's a huge portion of the fan base. But this would make that baseball crowd, that 15% baseball crowd, might make the basketball raise up a little bit. You will see the pavilion starting to sell tickets. You will see an atmosphere real similar to what happened to Auburn Arena with Bruce Pearl. Why? Because they know what's coming. This isn't a guess. This isn't a roll of the dice. This isn't what Kermit Davis was. This isn't what AK was. Ole Miss has never been in a position to hire somebody like this to where you can just say, okay, if we just give him time, we're going to be fine. Chris Beard would bring that to Oxford. And they ask, well, how long will it be in Oxford? Well, the same problems that makes him unhirable now is going to make him unhirable in three years for blue blood programs. A program like Ole Miss can do it, but Kentucky would not be able to do it. Texas would not be able to do it. Arizona, those programs would not be able to do it. 
then you're looking at five or 10 years. And at that point in that window, it's absolutely fine. He will be completely rehabil rehabilitated in time to do that. So you probably have three or four years of Chris Beard to turn your basketball program around. And historically, it has shown that he will do just that. Texas Tech is still winning basketball games with a protege of Chris Beard, who coincidentally just got let go. But you can see exactly how he will build it up. In between the lines, everything will be perfect. But the one thing that I said that the new coach is going to have to be able to do, and I've said this on the What You Talking About Willis segment, I've said this over and over again. The new coach is going to have to be able to go out and generate interest, market, follow Coach Yo's lead. If he does that, even to a minimal level, there will be a lot of success that is developed in the Ole Miss basketball program. I'm, I'm really excited about what could happen. Between the lines, we're going to be fine with the marketing. You could have by SEC season, in his first year, sellouts at the pavilion. This $100 million building that we built, that we were told we had to build, that they asked for our money to build, that has basically been sitting empty for three years, now you have a chance to sell that out and maximize its value. Make basketball not just self-sustaining. Make it profitable. Make it take a little bit of the burden of generating the non-revenue sports income. And if that happens, along with baseball, Ole Miss has an advantage in the athletic budget where it stands. You've got a packed arena that could happen. The students absolutely want to go crazy. I've been there. I've seen that. I mean, the Tad Pad, even back in the day, had a really good student section. That era will come back. And you will be able to win basketball games. And you will go to the tournament. And you will do things that Ole Miss really hasn't done that much. And you can turn around and be on stable footing. And after all this is done, after this hire is made, you can go out and find the next one. Do whatever you have to do and keep the momentum going. It's going to be really cool, honestly. It really is. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk to Derek Vandegriff on a preview of the Purdue Boilermakers this weekend on SEC+. Plus. Anyway, stick around. All right, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Sign up for the YouTube channel. Subscribe, hit the bell for notifications, comment down below, and upvote the video itself. We would appreciate it very much. I'm here with Derek Vandegrift for your weekend preview of Ole Miss baseball with the Purdue Boilermakers coming to town. And I guess the question that, that first comes to mind, Derek, is if we sweep this series, where are we going to finish in the Big Ten this year? Yeah, man. If I think if we end up playing in the Big Ten, you know, we we might end up setting a a record high for conference wins this year. Uh, the the way we're running through them right now, you know, Maryland's kind of the best they have to offer, and we've taken three out of four from them. And uh, you know, Nebraska's a pretty good Big Ten team. Then you put up an eight spot in the first inning against them. So yeah, I kind of feel like we would run through that conference pretty good if we were actually in it. Unfortunately, we're not. We're in the SEC, where things aren't near that easy. So we're, we're going to have a little bit of a dogfight on our hands. 
And props to the Minnesota Golden Gophers because they were by far the Ole Miss's toughest game this weekend. Yeah, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. had had two home runs all year going into that weekend, and they hit, what, two or three against us, right? So I, I'm not sure if I should be giving them props or giving our pitching staff hell one of the two. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that was definitely something I didn't expect come uh, Saturday. They won all three games, which is something that Vanderbilt cannot say, though. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Those uh, – who, who was got them Hawaii, right? Didn't Hawaii beat them? Is that who it was? Yeah, I or think was so. It, uh, it was, or, or, or no, Nebraska. Nebraska, Nebraska got, got them. That's, that's what it was. Because us and Nebraska were undefeated right there. But yeah. Oh, uh, Hawaii ended up getting Maryland. That's what I was thinking. Maryland okay. went 0-3 this weekend. Really? Who who's the other one? Oh, they lost to Vandy, us, and Hawaii. Vandy. Okay. Uh-huh. That's right. Well, uh, tell me about the Purdue Boilermakers. What do we need to know? Uh, man, you know, I've kind of started digging into their schedule and it's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen it before. They, they haven't played any midweek games. Okay. It's all on the weekend, but it's four game sets on the weekend. They pick a day to do a double header. And so like the, the first weekend it was uh Holy Cross. They played Friday two on Saturday and then again on Sunday. And then the ever powerful New Jersey Institute of Technology, which they went two and two against. Uh, doubleheader Friday, single game Saturday and Sunday, and then Akron went 3-1 against them with the doubleheader Saturday. So they're playing four-game series in three days. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, all at home, though, so this is going to be their, their first road trip coming down to Oxford, Mississippi. So, uh, you know, God bless those Boilermakers having to make that trip after, you know, the powerhouses of Holy Cross, Injit, and Akron. Well, um, what does that mean for them? Are they a pitching team? Are they a hitting team? Um, even you uh, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, they they hit it a ton. That's that's kind of what they do. They they lost most of their pitching from last year. They're kind of having to break in a few guys. Uh, and and it's kind of hard to follow the pitching staff because of that crazy schedule. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there trying to pick through game logs and stuff like that and figure out Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because they haven't announced it quite yet. Uh, now, Cole Stevens, that's their Friday night guy. He's going to get the ball first game of every series for him. He's uh, a low 90s pitcher, a good breaking ball slider. He throws up there, is able to get people out. Um, he's more of a pitch-to-contact guy, though. He's not going to get a lot of stuff by. He's only struck out seven guys in a little over 15 innings. Uh, but he, he doesn't allow a whole lot of uh, contact and stuff like that, though, or, or hits, I guess I should say. He, he allows a lot of contact, but – Ends up resulting into outs. 3.52 ERA. He's been fine so far this year. Uh, he's a sophomore from the right side, you know. So uh, I think the Rebels will be able to handle him well. And it really gets dicey after that from a pitching staff because the second best pitcher I can find is a guy that not only starts for him, but he closes at the same time, Aaron Saval. He comes in and he's he started a game uh, against Injet. And ended up picking up the win, and then the next day he comes in to close it out to pick up the save. So they just kind of throw him in there where wherever they think they need him at, right? Whether it be starting, closing. Uh, but he's he's a guy that I, I think it was like a .84 batting or .084 batting average on the year. He allowed two hits all year and a little over nine innings. Uh, his problem is he gets a little bit wild. He this player. Uh, but a guy that they're not scared to throw in there in any situation to try to get to those 27 outs that you're always trying to get to in baseball. It's kind of the magic number, and that's a guy that can eat up a few for you. He came in and threw, I think it was three or four innings when he started, 
And then uh, when he ended up getting the save, he come in through the last two. So it's definitely not a workload concern for him. You know, there's going to throw him in there wherever they can. And another guy they seem to throw out there a good bit is John Blackwell. Uh, he's he's gotten three starts for him so far in the first three weekends this year. Pitched pretty well, 293 ERA, 18 strikeouts in 15 innings. Uh, that's going to be their left-hander that we see this weekend. So, you know, that's kind of the Furnaces, Calarco, McCants, those guys, Jacob Gonzalez. That's kind of where you think that, that he's going to come in and try to neutralize them. And, by the way, the way those guys are swinging the bat, good stinking luck neutralizing those guys, especially Calarco and Gonzalez right now. They're on a completely another planet. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing with the Bullermakers. they got to try to figure out their pitching staff and – uh, credit to their coach. They're, you know, he's trying a lot of different things. He's not sticking with tr the traditional rotations and ways of doing it. He's just trying to find 27 outs. You know, it, it kind of reminded me a lot of Mike Bianco last year when we went into such a skid there towards the uh, middle of the conference season where he just kind of threw starting pitching out the window and he'd start throwing guys out there and started counting outs. Uh, but, but yeah, it's a team that, that, that hits a ton. That's, that's what's going to carry them. Uh, Last year, if I'm not mistaken, they started off really, really well, and it's just because they were pulverizing people at the plate. Uh, they they lost two or three guys from that offense, but but they got some guys that can still really hit it. They got Evan Archibot coming in. Uh, he's he's a fifth year senior playing shortstop. Dude's hitting 474 on the year. I mean, nobody can get this kid out apparently. Now, he he doesn't have a whole lot of pop. He's not sending it over the fence. Hadn't hit a home run yet this year. But you know, if you're batting 474 and you've started every game this year, that that's pretty special right there. Uh, their big bop, bopper is Paul Totes. He's their uh, second baseman, oddly enough, and he's hitting 395. So, you know, you've got a, a 474 and a 395 there. Uh, but but he's already hit seven home runs this year. I mean, that's that's guy that can really put a charge into the ball and, uh, and can get it out of here, especially getting down here in this nice Mississippi weather where it starts warming up a little bit. You know, that ball starts flying. So that's one guy you got to look out for. And, Joe Stevens is a JUCO transfer that has really, really called on with them. You know, that's kind of our uh, Ethan Groff, Anthony Calarcos, the guys coming in and, and doing more than you probably even expected. You know, he's he's playing third base for them, hitting 341. Only hit one home run, but he's on base a ton. Uh, and that's kind of their MO. That's what they did a lot last year. They, did, they didn't really hit it out of the park just a whole lot, but they got on base as an incredible clip, and they caused hell on the base paths stealing bases and, and taking extra bases, balls in the dirt, stuff like that. Um, and that's kind of the Big Ten way of playing baseball, I guess. You know, it doesn't really work down here in the south as Maryland had found out and now Nebraska and Minnesota too. So, you know, I, I fully expect us to be able to handle these guys, hit it out of the park. And, and this pitching staff, that's, you know, that's a week, weekly talk between me and you right now is, is, is what this pitching staff's able to find out week after week. Uh, especially going up against Southern Miss and then up in that tournament and stuff like that. You know, the competition's getting better, and these guys are, quite frankly, rising to the occasion for us. Yeah, honestly, this Ole Miss baseball team is doing what we thought last year's baseball team would do at the beginning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, while the pitching staff kind of figured it out, we just assumed they would hit a ton. Last year, mm -hmm. that didn't really happen because, you know, Kevin Graham went down and things like that that kind of messed it up. But, I mean, this year – I think there's five or six players that are hitting around 400 at this point of the season. Yeah, Just yeah. some absurd number. Yeah, yeah. We got four guys hitting 400 right now, and Anthony Clark goes right behind them hitting 390. You know, it's just 
absolutely insane what we're doing at the plate right now. And, you know, we, we talked a lot last year, you know, about the offense not performing up to standards because we felt that it was too much pressure on them because they thought they had to score 10, 12 runs a game because the pitching staff was so bad. And I, I kind of started getting worried that this team would start doing that because of how bad the pitching had been when we were walking, you know, six, seven, eight guys a game, you know, and they just got to score on the But it doesn't seem like that's uh, kind of gotten up on them so far. You know, they've kind of held their own, and uh, they've just kept hitting the ball over and over and over again. They've been incredible. Yeah, you know what's kind of interesting uh, when it comes to – this Ole Miss team and, you know, they have a chance to get Hunter Elliott and Riley Maddox this season. That, yeah. that could be relevant. And that, that is a big key. And honestly, this baseball team, as good as they are, that two pieces, if they can come back and be really good and be what they're supposed to be, I think this baseball team has a chance. If we get both of those guys back, we got more than a chance. I'd, I'd be surprised if we weren't the betting favorite. I think if you talk to anybody in the industry that covers college baseball day in and day out, they would tell you that right now we're two pitchers short of, of being able to reach the pinnacle and win another championship. Those two pitchers are dudes. Okay, We, we talked about it. I, I can't remember if it was on the Twitter space or if me and you talked about it last week on the podcast, but, you know, I'm, I'm about – come to the conclusion this is Mike Bianco's plan he's going to hold Hunter Elliott till halfway through the conference season just like he did last year throw him in there that way he's fresh for the rest of the season then the postseason and all that but Riley Maddox is the big one right you you get Elliott back put Doherty back in the bullpen then you've got a three-headed monster of uh, Maddox and Nichols and Doherty at the back end right there and man you you are really cooking especially with guys coming along with Takui and, and uh, JT Quinn. I still think that's going to be a really big arm force later this year once he figures out how to pitch. You know, uh, he kind of hits a wall, it seems like, 55, 60 pitches, but that would play out of the bullpen, right? Uh, so, yeah, Maddox getting back in that bullpen and then Elliott getting back and getting Doherty back in the bullpen, uh, that, that would be a huge shot in the arm force right now. And, you know, and, and, and it, you kind of hate to see it because – Doherty seems like he's kind of figuring it out a little bit on Friday nights, right? He, he pitched really good for us last weekend. and But you knew that he could do that, and you know he'll do it out of the bullpen too, and that's kind of where we need it right now. So, yeah, if we can get those two guys back, man, this, this pitching staff has, has a completely different outlook, and the upside of this team goes from, you know, a team that should probably still host a regional, maybe make a super regional, and then – kind of flip a coin from there to possibly being the favorite in the entire country to go ahead and win the national championship if we can get them back. Yeah, and before I let you go um, out of here, I've been, as you know, a lifelong Detroit Tigers fan for about eight days. So I've watched every the spring. biggest one I've ever seen in my life. Yes, yeah, the, I've watched every spring training game since then. And – in doing that, I noticed that in Major League Baseball, the running game is actually making a comeback. That people are trying to swipe yes. bags and steal stuff. And the college baseball, as we know, is a trickle down of the major leagues. So we, are we going to see, not necessarily small ball, not Augie Garrido. I don't expect that to come back. But is there a chance for a little bit of a comeback for um, a smaller ball in college baseball? 
Oh, uh, well, yeah, yeah. I definitely think that's something you'll end up seeing, uh, you know, with the minor leagues and they're incorporating in the majors now with the bigger bases, right? That's, that's one thing that's helping the running game. You know, you've got an extra two inches. I mean, just think about how many times they've had to go to review a play and somebody get tagged right before they get to the bag or they were there just in time, whatever. You, you get that extra two inches. That's really big with these kind of athletes, right? Um, that, the pitch clock, you know, you've got so many more things that the pitcher's having to worry about outside of, I'm going to sit here and hold this ball for 20 seconds and stare you down and make you walk back to the bag while he doesn't have to do anything, right? Um, and, and, and that's what makes baseball exciting, though. I understand why they're doing it and all that. So uh, I saw a stat today. I think it's up like 70-something percent so far this spring as far as the running game compared to last year in Major League Baseball. Uh, so the rule changes are working, you know, that's, that was the idea behind it. Um, but yes, to answer your question, I do think you'll end up seeing a trickle down of some kind to college baseball too, though. You know, it's, that's just kind of how it works. What, whatever the minors and the majors end up doing, they try to incorporate it into the college game. Yeah. And the one thing that happens only two disengagements per batter going over and throwing the ball over. If you throw to first base twice and you can't go back to first, that league gets big then. Because you can't risk throwing over there because if you don't get the guy out, it's a balk. He gets a free base. So I'm telling you, these new rules, they are fantastic for the fans. They are fantastic for the spectators. They are going to be absolutely hell on the players. For the players, yeah. Yeah, they're going to absolutely hate it. But, you know, I mean, they're going to end up having to adjust and figure out how to to play with these new rules, though, because they do have to draw more people in because – there have been so many people that's gotten disinterested in baseball over the last, you know, like you said, since 94 with the strike and all. You know, that's kind of what got you out of it. And, uh, you know, they've they got to start getting those people back. Yeah, yeah. And Mark McGuire and Sosa didn't do it. But. 